Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. I call out to your good, true, and beautiful ancestral helping spirits, and I call out to my own. I call out to these people who lived well and died well, who rose innovatively to the challenges of their times, or perhaps failed miserably and yet at the end of their lives reconciled that with understanding and perspective that they bring now as good, true, and beautiful ancestral helping spirits. So I call these people who walk the earth in. I call them in to be with us here today to support the living so that we can better rise to the challenges of our own time and then we can do what needs to be done to leave this world in a better way for those who are coming. And with that human assistance gathering around us and those true ancestral helping spirits able to step into their right place as we ask for their help and listen and use it, I call out through those human ancestors to the non-human ancestors, to all of those energies that were here long before there was ever a human and will be here long after. I call out to those non-human ancestors in their many forms and I ask them to help us to move away from distraction and uh, crazy psychological machinations that we are so good at creating in our own lives and simply learn to surrender into our true solid humanity and our own true nature so that humans can find their place once again as part of this great web of life in a way that honors the diversity and harmony of that web and so as these ancestors and their many forms gather in around us here today let us take responsibility now and gather ourselves calling our own spirit in from the many things that we have been doing in this day as we listen to these proceedings we call ourselves into our head take another nice deep breath and settle that consciousness down into your heart another nice deep breath settling down into your belly Stop all things except this one thing and extend down to the earth and take a moment. Focus exclusively on offering your gratitude for this day, for life in your physical human body, and for all the possibility that this new day holds for you. We give gratitude for all that has been on this journey that has brought us to this moment, for all that is, and for all that will be. And we call out to the energies of the earth as teachers to help us understand how to go forward on this journey together in a way that embraces the wholeness, the diversity, the harmony, and the peace that is possible if we can simply learn to slow down and to listen like a tree. And so let us extend our energy down even further into all the layers of the earth, giving gratitude to each layer of the earth as we extend all the way to the very center in our own imagination, focusing in on taking responsibility for grounding ourselves, for anchoring ourselves in the center of the earth, and for connecting and reminding ourselves to connect 
to those energies that draw their wisdom out of darkness, out of stillness, and out of silence. And as we settle into those energies that restore and replenish our spirit, that nourish and nurture our soul, let us reach into these energies and draw them up through all the layers of the earth with our imagination, drawing them into our day, drawing them into our belly and into our life. And we take this moment to adjust ourselves, to make sure that we know who we are, we know where we stand and what we stand for. And we align our actions in this day with those things that have true heart and meaning for ourselves. And may we extend that into our sense of family, our sense of belonging, and into our relationship with the other. And that we reach out to those who are different than we are, who think differently and look differently, and call them in to our home Offer them a seat at the table, offer them a bite of our dinner, a meal, and uh, invite those people to challenge us to grow into a better and more expansive version of ourselves. And understanding that relationship with the other in the everyday life around us challenges us to come into full and right relationship with that self within that we have othered and no longer listened to. And so with this understanding, we give gratitude to the earth as a teacher. And we extend into the earth and ask the interconnectedness of the earth all around us to teach us how to be in right relationship with our many internal selves, right relationship with the environment around us, right relationship with the living things in that environment, human and non-human, and right relationship with the invisible world. And as we invite ourselves to settle in to that uh, way of understanding ourselves, connecting into that great web of oneness that is life here on earth, in our universe, let's extend up from our belly to our heart and our heart in our mind, reaching for the very heart of that universe in, in our imagination, extending out through the sky, whatever weather it holds for you, out through the atmosphere, out into the cosmos, allowing yourself to caress all the heavenly bodies and being caressed by these bodies in your imagination as you reach to that heart of the universe, that highest power, a radiant divine energy to connect with that energy, to see yourself in it and it in you and draw that energy down into your day as an act of will, an act of purpose, an act of love. As you call that energy down through all the layers of the sky, into your head and heart and belly, you call in blessing and call in protection. Call in inspiration and illumination and that force that can assist you in the innovation your day is calling out for. And as you draw this energy in and send it to the center of the earth and feel into that imagination of the earth and sky together within you, let that love of those two legendary lovers awaken the loving spirit of your own heart and may you find in your own heart that crucible of transformation that allows the deep and unknown passions of this life to dance with the crystal clarity of your mind that needs to get you through the day, right? And that those two energies can come together in the heart, be honored in their uniqueness and in their difference. And in that dynamic tension, in that dance there in the heart, 
that friction, that stress, that tension can give birth to that third and most sacred thing, which is some sense deep in your heart of why you are here. And may you find courage in that beautiful human heart to do something in this day, large or small, to bring that unique genius, that gift you have for the world, into manifestation in some way. For all the spirit help that I have and all the spirit help that you have to do exactly that, to bring our gifts to the world, I am deeply, deeply grateful. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. Like to take a moment to give gratitude to all of you who have discovered the show and our new do- uh, sponsors of the show and enormous gratitude to those of you that have been sponsoring the show with your um, humble and beautiful monthly donations regularly for years now. I want to thank you all. Um, these donations help to pay the bills that keep the archives and the show on the air and the archives available online. For those of you that are not able to donate financially, um, we are also grateful for your shares of the show, your use of the teachings, your questions, and all of the things that help the show and the teachings to grow so that we can grow in our understanding of how to responsibly use shamanic practices to address the actual challenges here in our contemporary lives. And for all that you are doing to support us in that, we are deeply grateful. So I want to give gratitude to our guest here today, Langston Khan. Langston, thank you for being with us here today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. So Langston and I are in part three of a three-part series that um, are, we're speaking to the tools for reclaiming wholeness in a culture of trauma. And this uh, title of the series is a direct steal from Langston's book that is now available And of course, we encourage you to go to your independent um, bookstores to find it. Um, Langston's book is Deep Liberation, Shamanic Teachings for Reclaiming Wholeness in a Culture of Trauma. Um, And and yes, so so these shows are to to talk with you more about that book and and what we believe it could do if you'd read it and use it. And with that said, I just wanted to totally recap really quickly the part one and part two of our series. And so Deep Liberation, Langston's book, uh, speaks to Langston's own journey and experience with what we call the Deep Liberation Process. And this is a sequence of three classes that we teach in our online curriculum here at Last Mass Center online. And the first part of that is Energy Body Mastery. And Langston and Audley Audrey LaRue will be teaching. Class starts tonight, which is uh, February 9th, 2021. So class begins. Um, You're welcome to register uh, now at energybodymastery.com. And that's the beginning. It's this, it's not a beginning skill set. It's a foundational skill set. And it covers the, the basics of energy body hygiene, which I've discussed in many shows here on My Shamanism Now. And the basic clearing form that we teach at Last Mass Center, which is unique in many ways. And Langston discussed that really well in part one of this series. What is unique about this clearing form? Okay. So that's the, those two things are part of this seven-week class. This class is followed by energy body clearing, which expands uh, the understanding of that clearing form. And then this year, we are offering the next step in the process. So the whole deep liberation process is offered um, online this year. um, And that is advanced energy body clearing. 
And that is when we take these practices, which up until that part three have been taught very much as your um, personal practice and practice with others in groups of two or three or four to now take these skills and start to work with it more systemically in our own lives. In other words, I notice whenever I am really reaching into my potential to put something new out in the world, something always happens in my family that distracts me back into rescuing some part of my family. That kind of big overarching pattern. How do we begin to look at the multiple places we need to clear to dismantle a big overarching pattern like that? So that's advanced energy body clearing. And like I said, these are all the fundamental pieces of the deep liberation process, which then allows us to do the so far unimagined which is to work together as a diverse group of skillful people to start to literally clear systemic problems. So how do we as individuals work in a collective to address our collective issues? And so that's, that's the vision really of the deep liberation process. And um, what I wanted to do today to further sort of recap the first uh, two parts of this series and to move on to what I wanted to talk about today. I want to um, hand this over to Langston in a sense and begin to deconstruct the rest of the title of the book because in many ways I think that that covers a lot of the important issues. So Langston, I'm going to throw, throw the ball to you here. And so the first part of your title um, is this whole shamanic teachings right, for reclaiming, which is another really important word there, and wholeness is another piece in a culture of trauma. So let's talk about, you know, in this time in which people of all presentations need to be completely, wholly conscious of their appropriation in the field of shamanism, (laughs) what do we mean by shamanic teachings? Yeah, such a big, important question right now. Um, So one way I think I find it useful to talk about shamanism is to understand that it has always been dialectical. And what I mean when I say that is it responds and adapts to the needs of its time, as do, you know, skillful shamans within shamanic cultures. And so what am I talking about when I say shamans or shamanic cultures. I mean, in some ways, you've done a great job of covering this over the last, like, you know, uh, years of this podcast. But just to kind of try to summarize here, um, within this book, the reason I use the word shamanism was as a cross-cultural term to describe the common activities and experiences that link shamans, shamanic peoples, and their shared experiences of the world. And I think to really talk about why I'm using that word, we need to first acknowledge the lineage of that word, which of course is very problematic in a lot of ways. So um, the word shamanism, um, you know, may be derived from the Manchu Tungus word shaman. I don't know exactly how to pronounce that, but essentially meaning one who is excited, moved or raised perhaps. And there's different etymologies and different theories of the origin of that word. But this came out of this word turning into sort of shaman and 
becoming used to describe these practitioners uh, came into sort of academia through Russian explorers and conquerors of Eastern Siberia recording the term, and then the Romanian scholar, Mircealiati, arguing for the term to be applied cross-culturally in his book, Shamanism, Archaic Techniques of Ecstasy, and in some of his work before that, around 1951. And in a sense, you know, there, there's all sorts of things that were wrong with <laughs> Mircealiati in that he really didn't ever connect with shamans in his life. As far as I know, he really was only researching through um, anthropological and academic texts. But what he was doing is he chose to spend his academic capital to say, these people are not hucksters or crazy people as many anthropologists were sort of painting them as the at, at the time, these practitioners. And instead he said, these people are part of an essential aspect of human heritage, this role that you find in certain human cultures of someone who's tending this balance in very specific ways through moving into the unseen realms between individuals and them, their own souls, families and individuals, communities and families, and communities with the spirit world and their environment that they're in. And so this really changed the world's under, or at least, you know, the contemporary Western world, certainly understanding of what a shaman was and gave a different level of respect in academia to spiritual practitioners that held this specific role in their cultures and communities. So, so just to recap, so now we're taking this very specific word to describe a specific cultural role in one culture and using it to to apply to other people who have the same specific role in other cultures, or at least what Mircealiati interpreted as the same or similar role. Now, in that, then what we have is Michael Harner, you know, then around in the 60s and 70s, beginning to study um, both academically and in his own research with indigenous peoples, particularly in the Amazon. And he's beginning to then take these spiritual technologies and divorce them from their cultural context and make them accessible to contemporary Western people, um, particularly in the US, but ultimately around the world. Um, and there is a lot of amazing things about that because it, you know, I probably wouldn't have learned of, of shamanism in quite the way that I did if that hadn't happened, as given the context I was in in the US. And yet, one caution I have is that I think there's a lot of harm that can be done when we, when we divorce practices from their cultural context, because then that, that is ultimately a form of appropriation to some extent. And also, more importantly, it can be dangerous to practice shamanism without a cosmology, as we've talked about in other podcasts, because then what we're doing is we're just shoehorning these spiritual skills into the cosmology of you know, capitalism or consumerism and just using these skills that are meant to help us to weave back into the great dreaming of all of life through engagement with a cosmology just to become better capitalists or better marketers or better consumers you know, in this system that we're in. So that's one 
one critique of, of some of what Harner, Harner did. And there's obviously a lot of other things people could say of pros and cons, but not to get too bogged down in that right now, I want to actually reference the fact that during this time, so we have, you know, in 1979, Michael Harner starting to move out of just being an academic and becoming a spiritual teacher. And at the same time, it was only in 1978 that, you know, indigenous peoples of the Americas, you know, specifically, um, you know, first peoples of Turtle Islands practices are being actually legalized. That up until then, they're still being imprisoned just for practicing their own sacred ceremonies. So you have this simultaneously, um, you know, primarily white people, contemporary Western people gaining access to these tools, which is great considering so many had fallen away from forgotten animism and an ability to access the unseen world and enter into these certain dimensions of their soul in this deep way. So there's this beautiful thing happening, but at the same time, we have to understand that that, that is happening at the same time indigenous peoples are still being imprisoned for the for practicing these same tools. So it's this classic thing with appropriation where the people who are part of the you know settler colonial culture are being rewarded for the same thing that the people who actually originate these practices are being punished for. And you know I don't I'm not saying that first peoples of Turtle Island are shamans or shamanic practitioners, they wouldn't use that word ever to describe themselves. But I'm just making this comparison that I think is important to be aware of, of why there's so much sensitivity around the use by contemporary Western people of this word, because there's a lot of pain there that still hasn't been reconciled or acknowledged. And so what happens next? Well, in the, there are many movements that come out of in some ways, the, the core shamanism movement that Michael Harness started in the US. And you might not even say that they're necessarily coming out of them, but there's people that are receiving some training from the core foundation of shamanic societies. And then, uh, you know, for better or for worse, some, some, for some people it goes really sideways, some people it's, it's useful. And then they're, real, they're taking what works and, and, what, and noticing what didn't work and creating their own schools and systems and structures out of their own authentic shamanic initiatory experiences that they're having. And so that's where someone like Christina comes in, in a sense. Um, and, and I'm sure you would tell this part of the narrative a little differently, but essentially there's the, um, well, I, I wonder if you just, if you want to speak a little bit just to your own sense of that moment of realizing that you need to create your own shamanic community that did have a cosmology? Well, you know, I think the thing that is really hard for contemporary people to understand when everybody's got their side hustle and they're trying to figure out how to make money and people learn things from books. I mean, I learned a lot of things from books is the idea that there was some plan that I was in charge of. So, <laughs> the idea that I read a book and did this, or even that I did, you know, trainings at the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, and that led me to X, and that I did this. And so, I think, in in many ways, for me, the the sort of the validation of it being authentic, non traditional shamanism, is me really not being in charge and not knowing what was going on, and honestly asking my helping spirits, not human teachers, mm 
but my helping spirits, what was the next step? Literally, whether that was financially viable or not, doing it. And that that whole process, especially in today's world where most people even at, at you know minimum wage aren't being paid a living wage, the idea of that kind of risk, you know, is crazy. Everything about it was crazy. And I, I admit, I could in part do it because of my own sense of possibility because I'm a white woman. You know, it didn't really cross my mind that if I worked hard enough, it wouldn't work out. Whereas I probably might not have that opinion if I'd been, you know, had a different life experience here in the United States. And so I did what my helping spirits, to the best of my ability to understand it, to the best of my ability to craft a good question and get an answer, what they were saying. Now, it was really clear when they said do, do soul retrievals. That was, that was really clear. So I learned what I needed to do to do soul retrievals. And that's what brought me to the Foundation for Shamanic Studies. But all of that happened after my initiatory experience and so the helping spirits were trying to get through to me post initiatory experience to give me the teachings and then ultimately the cosmology that's obviously in the teachings right that whole process that literally took decades to sort out and figure out and think about and ask about and and keep wrestling with you know, all of that came out of just doing the work to the best of my ability to honestly do this small s shamanism that you were describing to do the soul retrieval work, to go to the helping spirits for the answers, to learn to ask better questions, to learn to better interpret the answers, to take those actions in the world and to, and to use my helping spirits as my problem solving team. All the time knowing everything I was doing is diagnosable as some version of mental illness in the psychological circles, right? (laughs) So, I mean, that's just the reality of it. And so basically, 10 years in, we finally do part four of the teachings. And after going through these teachings, part one, part two, part each part is a year, right? Part one, part two, part three, part four, again and again and again for a decade is just starting to recognize, A, that these are teachings. And B, that those teachings exist inside of a cosmology. And then as a teacher, starting to teach both the teachings as a cosmology as real things. And that in and of itself got a lot of argument and a lot of pushback and was treated as crazy until another decade further along the path when we did our first conjure dance ritual and the spirit of the teachings and the spirit of the cosmology, the spirit of the shaman in that system, the spirit of the ancestors and the descendants and the community, all of those spirits came through in the conjure dance and danced us and began to teach us, yes, we're already a thing. Yes, we've already been dreamed. And y'all need to get your shit together and start living us more accurately. (laughs) It was pretty much the result of that first conjure dance ritual. And so this is all a direct application of shamanic skills to understand how to manifest what is needed in this time. And, And, you know, there's things I could keep saying about what we the perspective we gain every decade of doing this. But I guess what I'm really just trying to say is everything 
that we understand, we understand through using shamanic skills. We're not understand, and in doing that, it continues to dismantle um, our contemporary person system of how to be. It's really challenging for people. It, it, it has been challenging for me. I've just been doing it longer than anybody else in the community, mm-hmm. right? So I've, I've sort of gotten used to the challenge of it in the contemporary life and, and surprise myself and people I'm talking to in the world all the time because I, I am now my reflexes to come out of an animist and shamanic perspective about everything, which if I'm not paying attention is a real conversation ender. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I'm always off script in my everyday life and I endeavor to be as graceful as I can with that. Um, but anyway, so my point is we came to understand we needed to have a coherent community there as the interface between the teachings and the cosmology because spirit told us to. Spirit basically said all these problems you're having, which we were having regularly, can be solved by one thing, which is build your actual community. And so my own growing understanding as a person very resistant to community um, of what it means to cultivate a community self and function in community, what are responsibilities if we step into a healthy community and what is a healthy community, right? How the hell would any contemporary person know the answer to that question? Right. And so, you know, so all of this has been our crawling up an exponential learning curve around what happens when you apply these teachings. You learn that you need a community to hold the teachings. You learn that you need a cosmology that holds the community and the teachings and all of the individuals in that. You know, like you learn, you relearn what makes for example, a shamanic Siberian, you know, culture different from the Russian culture that's living there in Siberia. As an example, like why are they different? It's not just the animism. It's also that that sort of problem-solving protocol that comes through having shamanic skills. So anyway, that's a very roundabout answer to your question. No, yeah, that's great. And I appreciate you sharing all that. And so to sort of dip back into the history, I realized one piece I left out too is even before Michael Harner was doing his work or sort of simultaneously when he was starting some of his work, there was Carlos Castaneda also who, you know, for all of his problems and strangeness and kind of forgeries and stuff, he really brought forward the idea that one cannot understand the shamanic worldview without without actually engaging in shamanic practice, that one can't actually engage in any kind of objectivist field work and think you're actually understanding what you're observing. And Which so, is a point of view that was definitely um, bolstered by the psychedelic experimentation of that time as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so you mentioned the word animism. So people often ask, you know, why did I use the word shamanism versus animism to describe this book in particular? And the problem is when we leap to animism, this belief that all objects and places and creatures possess a distinct spiritual essence as a replacement for shamanism. I see a lot of people doing in an effort not to be appropriative, which is good, but we're missing an understanding of the essence of those two words that shamanism and animism are not interchangeable that you can't just like 
use the word animism to be a better person, you know, to, to and, and still keep on doing your same practices and think that's like accurate. That shaman, and I'm not criticizing anyone for using the word, but shamanism, if we lose that word, we lose the idea that there's a very specific role for someone who is uniquely trained, initiated and skilled in tending those balances with the invisible world that I was talking about before. And not all animist cultures are shamanic cultures, you know, with this cross-cultural definition. And so in losing that role, we lose this sense of this bridge between the human and the other human world. And if we don't have a word for that role in our current contemporary Western culture, which we, you know, we, we've lost um, any sort of words we might have used to really have that and 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 for our especially with the sort of diversity of contemporary western culture it's not like that's one culture really um it, so in losing that word and not having our own word we lose this sort of essence and en energy of this role and so and and yet people are still being initiated in contemporary culture into this specific role and needing to understand what that role is and sort of cobble together what they can to interpret the messages from spirit as Christina was so beautifully describing that are coming that are sharing with them how to step into this role in an authentic way in contemporary culture in a way that meets the unique challenges of our time because that's what I was talking about when I say that shamanism is dialectical in that if we're if we're choosing to actually engage shamanism authentically then we're choosing to engage it to meet the unique challenges of the present moment we are in. And so I wanted to talk about, I wanted to use this word because the cosmology that I am working in, the cosmology of these teachings arise out of is shamanic using that cross-cultural term, that little s shamanism that is not specific to Siberian culture, that is not specific to any indigenous culture, that is actually a contemporary tradition uniquely made for people seeking to meet the challenges of being in a broken culture where the culture is failing to tend your birth, the culture is failing to initiate you into adulthood, the culture is failing to help you step into true eldership and have your medicine honored and engaged by the younger people and the culture is failing to tend your death and make sure you actually move on well and are called back as an ancestor helping spirit so all the wisdom you gained over the course of your lifetime doesn't just vanish and so this tradition is an answer to how do we as contemporary people meet those needs in this time as as people who are sort of half adults and half not because we've had to just survive in a culture with no initiation well, let's dive into that. What do you mean by culture of trauma? Because that's kind of what you're starting to talk about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, what I mean by a culture of trauma is that one, there's a lot of definitions. One definition I was referencing is just the idea that in a sense we are all traumatized or most of us are traumatized in some way because, one, because we're all connected, but two, because if we as a culture have chosen to abandon ritual and abandon the tending of these sacred thresholds, then we aren't being, we aren't giving ourselves a chance to have what human need, humans need to be in the present moment 
acting as the medicine that they came here to be in service to a vision that's larger than ourselves, which is part of one definition of what I would think of as wholeness, being able to be in this beautiful flow of continuing over the course of a lifetime to be supported and bringing that which is our essence, that which is maybe unconscious to us at first, into conscious embodiment in service to all of life, to, to be part of this organism that all of life is in a way that we're actually in service to that organism, like a healthy organ in an organism versus like a parasitic attachment to it. And so to me, that is trauma, to be in a system that where you are, you are not, not only not supported, but where it's really not safe most of the time to actually be in your authenticity. And it's not safe to actually follow the values of your culture, that the values for culture actually are suicidal values that will get you killed if you follow them collectively and individually, then I think that's a culture of trauma because just being in the culture passively is traumatizing. And, and to talk a little bit more about what I mean by when I say trauma, I'm talking about the big T traumas, like the abuse that happens in this culture, the um, you know, manipulation, the, the lying, the falseness, but also the small t traumas, just those moments when we think that if we, you know, especially when we're much younger, we think that if we express who we truly are, we will die. You know, if we just are in our authentic energy, we will die. And so we learn to close those parts off and we learn stories that teach us to keep parts of ourselves stuck in those moments of fear for our life and those old survival patterns. And fundamentally, if, if there are adults in a culture, if a culture is not in, taking the time to initiate their you know, teens into adulthood, then it is a culture of children. And in a culture of children, actual children, actual like, you know, physical children because of their age, don't get to be children. They have to be adults prematurely because there aren't any adults in charge. And so in this way, we continuously perpetuate this cycle of traumatizing each generation because we're not willing to step up and be the adults. And not just we're not willing, but we don't have the systems in place, the rituals in place, the practices and cosmologies in place that shamanic peoples all over the world have understood were necessary for humans to be spiritually mature adults and to be in that relationship with all of life that is actually in service to it. And so, so this brings us then, you know, you, the middle of your title is, is, so what are we trying to do with that, right? And you chose reclaiming wholeness. Mm-hmm. So of yeah. all the things you could have said, like, so what is it that makes, you know, that be the winner? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I thought about that a lot. I heard all sorts of different phrases, and that was the one that stuck. Because one, you know, and it's so long and unwieldy in a sense, but it, it was what it needed to be for me. Because reclaiming implies that we had wholeness. Maybe that we even have wholeness. We just need to claim it. That it's not about we have to create wholeness. It's not about we have to find wholeness. That the wholeness is already here. We just have to choose to rescue it 
within ourselves and within the world that the world hasn't gone anywhere like you know the the wholeness of the of the from a shamanic perspective that you know great dreaming that invisible realm that is at the underneath the surface of things that is the deeper truth and reality of all of life that we're just operating mostly at the surface of that wholeness is there has always been there it's not that we don't affect it we can absolutely depreciate that wholeness through our own turning away from our destiny but the moment we are willing to turn back which can always is always just like one step away in a sense then we are operating again in that wholeness so I, I chose reclaiming to emphasize that that there is an essence in all of us that has never been harmed that is not traumatized as you know painful as that can be sometimes to think about for those of us who are really struggling with trauma but there all of us each and every one of us has an essence at our core that has never been harmed that is who we have always been and who we will always be that unique energy of our of our purpose and our destiny and so we can choose to reclaim that essence of our wholeness and i think what's what's really beautiful about what you're saying langston as you're talking i'm just thinking about all of those moments that have been shared in energy body mastery as a person discovers that like right there at our most foundational course that that discovery of that you know self that is whole and they didn't even know it was there <laughs> all this right not not to laugh at but with is this whole way in which it it right here at energy body mastery level of these teachings this foundational teaching it's why it's the foundational teaching not because it's basic but because it's essential to reclaim one's wholeness so that everything you build from from there on out is built on wholeness not built on the culture of trauma and you know and inherent in that post you know because it's online right so we're getting posts is the person's realization that they can't go back right they can't go back to the old script right because the old script reinforces the old codependency dominant submissive you know whatever it is whatever version of the old script they're talking about but it's exactly that culture of trauma now that i'm reclaiming my wholeness i need a new script is anybody out there speaking this language right <laughs> and that that recognition that to become well becomes a jumping off point and um and of course, you know, since we're offering all of these classes and this is the beginning, we're inviting people to jump, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, please, um, because there's more. And this is the thing that I find so taxing in the contemporary world is all the lead up to this that we're discussing as the end game mm -hmm. instead of realizing this is the true beginning this reclaiming effectively reclaiming our wholeness and having a skill set in our pocket that allows us then to tend and maintain that relationship because that's the other thing about um, being off script is is recognizing that that script is so persistent in our lives the old the 
culture of trauma script because people are tending and maintaining it by their contribution to it every day. So if you want to go off that script, off the culture of trauma script and start to be in a reclaiming wholeness script, you have to tend that relationship with yourself and with others who are doing the same thing with you. And so you need daily practice. You know, this this is the beauty, right, of the book. And of energy body mastery is is a daily practice that can support that is built right into it, right? Absolutely. And I think that brings us right back to our conversation around shamanism and how how this is not the end game. It really it really take I think to engage in shamanism authentically, it takes a level of humility of really reckoning with how far behind we are as contemporary people. Uh, compared to pre-contact indigenous cultures or even some indigenous cultures today that still have their practices intact. How far behind we are in basic understanding of how to be human with a body on the earth. And so part of energy body mastery is getting into some of those foundational things like how do we find some good practices and shortcuts to to catch up there with just that this whole having a body on the earth thing like what what responsibilities does this body come with but i think you know some people asked me too as i was talking about some of the practices from the book they were asking well is that really shamanism like isn't shamanism more only you know working with spirits and ritual and um you know, going into deep trance states and like, yes, all of that is shamanism. And to say that transforming deeply our own relationship with our body and our mind and our soul and our heart is not shamanism is very confusing to me because shamanic peoples have many practices for doing deep internal work and partnership with their helping spirits, because we are spirits too. You know, our spirit is a spirit that needs tending too. And so, you know, generally, you know, something I talk a lot about in the book that you've also, you've of course spoken a lot about, Christina, as well, is that for shamans generally in these cultures, what they're doing is they're not coming to make people into superheroes. They're coming to teach people how to be human again how they can come back into balance with themselves and in their communities and start actually living in right relationship with the dream of all of life again. Because they're failing miserably. I mean, this is like, read your history, people. This is the history, is that human beings collectively fail to be good humans again and again and again. And so the fundamental teachings of any shamanic culture on top of the animism, right, is how to be a good human. It's fundamentally practical and necessary to even begin. This is the part that just drives me crazy about all the yammering about Mm -hmm. what is and isn't shamanism is the constant avoidance of this point. That is the central point in every single story of the first shaman in every culture that still holds that story. And we are here right now, people, being really shitty humans. So, you know, it's just like, uh, read your history. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, it's very interesting, that divide. And of course, that's a symptom of this, this deeper cultural lie of separation between the 
engagement with spirit and the engagement with our everyday, you know, life to see those two things as separate, which is fundamentally not shamanic, but prevents people from seeing what shamanism actually is, I think. Um, and it's some, I'm not holding myself as separate from that. It's some, I'm going into my own blind spots of that every day as well. Uh, and so I think it's really important to understand that in this work, we're trying to become people. We're not just taking these tools of shamanism, divorcing them from cultures appropriately, and then trying to shoehorn them into our contemporary culture. We're trying to engage these tools and, and engage some new tools, some innovations as well that have been developed in relationship with you know, good humans working hard and with working with spirit to actually become the people that can use shamanic tools with respect and integrity in service of the actual aims of shamanic cultures, which is to be in this relationship, this rich, intimate relationship, living relationship with all of life. That's constantly evolving and changing and responding to the moment. And so I'm about to go off in like five directions, right? <laughs> <laughs> but let's just stick with this piece that I think we were, we've been doing a good job building up to, which is this idea about what's really step one. Like step one isn't the end game, people. It is really this first foundational step because the reality here is you can embrace all that's so beautifully described in Langston's book, all of the teachings there and take take these classes, right? Energy body mastery, energy body clearing, and even advanced energy body clearing. And there are still going to be some things that are out of your reach. Now, a lot will be in your reach to transform. It is a really powerful skill set. However, there will be some things that are still out of your reach. And these things are shadow issues and issues of your own unwell ancestors and soul loss issues right these are the three things that remain out of your reach because the source of those problems is not in your sphere of influence right and so the, this many many shows about this so we don't have to go into that particularly but what Langston and I want to do here today is link this deep liberation process as this foundation again not beginning but foundational teaching for reclaiming wholeness so that everything else you build on that is actually built on wholeness and not a repetition of this culture of trauma. And to let you know that, yes, Energy Body Mastery is starting today. Get on board that train if you haven't already. And the next class that we're offering is Shadow Transformation Protocol. So this is then the shadow transformation process that is completely unique to this reality that Langston has been so beautifully describing about this foundational skills, this responsibility individually for us to reclaim our wholeness, how we step into community then to support that constant ongoing cultivation of that relationship with your own wholeness. And then from that wholeness, your purpose and what, you, what you're bringing and how you bring that into this constant nourishing relationship with your human community and non-human community around you and all of that that Langston's been beautifully talking about. So within all of that, there is a need for us to address the baggage we bring as contemporary people because we are coming from that culture of trauma and reclaiming our wholeness is a big piece and 
in doing that, we'll realize there's still some potholes in the road we keep falling into again and again. Some of those potholes are named your unresolved shadow issues. Some of those potholes are named your lost soul parts, and some of those potholes are named your unresolved ancestral issues. <laughs> okay, And so the one pothole that I feel this last year, I don't even want to say the words anymore, but I am going to say it for us today, 2020. <laughs> so this last year, with its um, uh, social media stuff, the, the collective psychosis of the collective, the um, political things going on, the COVID things going on, and here in the West, in Australia, in Siberia, in Brazil, I think the fires like all of this going on, right? And all of these people going, we're all looking at our shadow. It's like, well, yes, and. And what that means is the way essentially the Western world has been approaching shadow work is not getting the job done, right? (laughs) For sitting here watching life reflect our shadow back to us after all of this work in men's work and women's work and the mystery schools, all of the shadow work going on and everyone going, oh, I did that. It's like, well, y'all, it didn't take. <laughs> right? Because we are swimming in unresolved shadow issues. So my perspective is simply coming at it from a non-psychological perspective, coming at it out of this wisdom that you've been talking about, Langston, which is that these shamanic people have technologies for being good humans. Those technologies drastically diminish the amount of energy that is allowed to go into shadow compared to a typical contemporary person. And so these, these technologies then give us Um, a different way to look at what shadow is back to the whole human beings not being very good humans it's not like this is a new thing it's an old thing but we've moved so far away from a way of living that keeps us from spawning enormous amount of shadow selves but in a culture of trauma we create shadow selves abundantly And so how can we get at that shadow work in a way that we no longer perceive of it as hard, scary, and painful, and long? That's the other thing, these long psychological odysseys that people describe for people that have had the courage to go at it that way. And my perspective is, based on everything we were saying today, is that this is going at an important task. Transforming your shadow issues is an important task. And everybody's efforts towards doing that are good efforts. I mean, bravo for trying. But you're using the wrong tool for the job. It's like trying to saw a board with a toothbrush. It's just the wrong tool for the job. (laughs) So with this foundation laid here with the deep liberation process, what I want to invite people to do is – jump on board either energy body mastery with langston and audrey which is starting today you can go to energybodymastery.com or or and 
you can do both, right, would be to join me in Shadow Transformation Protocol, which isn't quite open for registration yet. But I wanted to connect these two pieces because reclaiming our wholeness in a culture of trauma is the beginning. And we can get really disappointed there when we are not able to recover the aspects of ourselves from our time in the culture of trauma that have been lost to the shadow. And so since you didn't really get, well, anyway, what would you say about that length? And just from your own experience of the enormous relief of this true reclaiming of an aspect of yourself that has been truly committed to shadow and lost to your own life. Yeah, well, I think one thing I'd like to say is that, you know, how this term shadow gets thrown around a lot is oftentimes not even touching the depth of the deep liberation process. So the deep liberation process has tools in it for withdrawing our projections and tracking them to their root in our body and seeing what was unconscious to us before and bringing it into consciousness. And that's what a lot of people mean when they say shadow work, but that's really just the first little bit. Then if you do that work enough, you start to bump up against these deeper addictions and fears and unknowns in your life. And, you know, times when you're doing something and everyone's telling you you're you're doing something different than you think you're doing or saying something different than you think you're saying and you just can't see it it's in your blind spot and all of these that's the kind of shadow we're talking about these intense fears these deep addictions these long time patterns of self-sabotage that no matter how much beautiful important work we do with somatic tools of going deep into our body and working with its wisdom we can't quite touch and access and so I had, you know, some of the core, some of the biggest transformations I've had in my life were, were shadow processes when I, for example, you know, I have a couple minutes left, I guess. So for example, when I was in a, um, I, I had this pat, a lot of wounding around my sexuality and creativity from just being a, you know, queer black kid in contemporary culture. And it, I would just endlessly have relationship after relationship that was this, like literally that I felt like I couldn't, you know, actually it wasn't even relationship after relationship. It was really a lack of any real relationships uh, that were romantic that had a real capacity for love in them. I like had lost my capacity to love and romantic relationship in the shadow, literally. And it wasn't until engaging a shadow process and working with spirit and ritual and mass work and dance to rescue that part of me through the shadow transformation work that that you know Christina offers, that I was able to bring that part of me back online and love deeply and fully again, which is a huge part of my essence, and maybe anyone's essence, but especially for me, that was like a huge hole in me that was missing and in the shadow. And so everything changed in my life from that moment on of doing that shadow work, which took about a year to do, and then it was done. And it was fun, it was exciting, it was scary, it was painful sometimes, it was comfortable, but it wasn't re-traumatizing. It was reinvigorating. And so, yeah, I just want people to understand this distinction between the first level of shadow work that you can do with the deep liberation process, that is 
similar to, but much deeper than a lot of what people are calling shadow work currently, and this whole other terrain that's completely different than anything out there that I've ever experienced, and I've experienced a lot, that is this what Christina refers to as a shadow, these deep aspects of self that have been completely lost to our unconsciousness and need real shamanic power tools to rescue and bring back online. So if you want to hear more about that, thank you, Langston. <laughs> it's like it's so exciting to me. So I'm going to be talking about this on this Saturday, which is February 13th, just in time to get your heart excited for Valentine's Day if you do Valentine's Day. But anyway, this this uh, event is called Losing Our Hearts in Plain Sight, a remedy of crazy courage and shadow revelation for our time. So again, losing our hearts in plain sight, and you can go to the Why Shamanism Now Facebook page. Um, it's already posted there. The link is already posted there to register and it's free. Just register. If you can't make the time, don't worry about it. We'll send you a recording to the event. It's really all that simple online stuff like we all know how to do now. Um, and and uh, at, at the same time, what we have found last year is a lot of people did both. They did this shadow transformation protocol and energy body mastery and energy body clearing and had really huge transformations last year in the face of everything else that was going on. And so um, as, I, as we've been saying, energy body mastery registration is available right now. Energybodymastery.com. It's really easy. And go go ahead and register. Um, complete money back guarantee. Um, so go for that. And if you also are interested in what we're really talking about here with this moving on from that step one and moving into this deeper transformation, um, the event on Saturday, February 13th, is called Losing Our Hearts in Plain Sight. It's on my Facebook page, Christina Pratt. You know, just my Facebook page and at the Why Shamanism Now Facebook page. And you can click and um, reserve your spot. Um, so Langston, thank you um, for being with us here today and finishing out this uh, three-part series so excellently. Thank you very much. And thank you for your book. Thank you, Christina. And thank you for your ancestors. They they did an awesome job dreaming of a better future and bringing you here. Um, thanks, thanks to your ancestors for for creating that timing so we could be here together. Grateful to my ancestors and to all of your ancestors, those of you who are listening, grateful for the earth below us, deeply grateful for the sky above and all the radiant energy from above and deeply grateful for all of y'all's hearts and for that connection between us all. Thank you everyone, have a great week.